Okay, welcome. I really want to thank uh, Real America's Voice for making this happen. It's Sunday, 23 October, in the year of our Lord, 2022, and this is a War Room special. We had such a uh, a prominent uh, and important guest this week. They were able to get some additional time. Bishop, thank you so much. Bishop Snyder, thank you so much. Uh, today's also a very special day. What is it in the church calendar? Uh, today it is uh, the feast of uh, Spanish Saint Franciscan. His name is St. Peter of Alcantara. He was a great missionary priest in the 16th century in Spain. And in the traditional calendar of the church, it is his feast day today. Let's talk about tradition for a second. You're, you, you've kind of dedicated your life to making sure here in the modern age, we go back to these more traditional times. And, and but you you have a theory of why that is so important and must happen in the modern world. Part of that is communion with the saints and connection with not just the great heritage of the church, of all the literature and the art and the beauty, but more importantly, the direct lineage of the mass itself and also the saints. Why why do you believe that that is the most important thing in this modern world with you know transhumanism and global uh, economic insecurity and in war and pandemics, why why is that a fight worth fighting? Yes, because the main characteristic of the modern world is exactly uh, the rupture with tradition, and to to create something completely new, artificial. But this is contrary to the very nature of the human being, the very nature as we were created by God, because all what we have, we receive, we have received, starting with the life. We received the life from our parents. We received the soul from God directly. And all the knowledge which we have, we received from our, uh, from those who lived before us. They transmitted us all the treasures of culture, of human knowledge, and and but in the first place, the faith, and this is the basic truth, because God spoke to humanity in re- divine revelation, and this is called God gave us something, so we received His word, His truth, we received, we not created this. And therefore, by receiving, it's included the tradition. It is inseparable. So we have this, as we transmit the human life, which God gave us this order when he created man and woman. So when he revealed himself supernaturally in the Old Testament, in in the fullness in Jesus Christ, he gave us this greatest gift, his truth, the faith. And the task of the church and of all believers, starting with the parents, they have the duty to transmit faithfully 
what they received. This is the entire mission of the church. And included the faith and an and, and most important eximious expression of the faith which was handed down is the liturgy, the prayer as we express the faith. And therefore so important is to keep uh, um, the traditional way of believing and of praying. The church in the 19th century with the Industrial Revolution and, and things that were going on in, in Europe, the church leaders understood that this was going to be a problem. In fact, they came up with this with the uh, oath against modernity or the anti the oath against anti-modernism. Talk about those church leaders. What, what, what was it that they saw ahead that they would actually get become so adamant that because you have on one side in the 19th century church leaders who are adamant about we have to fight at a spiritual level this thing called modernity that we've seen in the French Revolution, but it, it, it's, it's getting deeper now with the Industrial Revolution. And you go to 1960, so basically 80 years later or 100 years later, and you have church leaders that say the exact opposite. In fact, we have to welcome in modernity. What did they see and what transpired in those 100 years that led to the Second Vatican Council? Yes, this is a very good question. So I think that uh, partly these church leaders, uh, to, uh, starting with John XXIII and those who promoted Vatican II Council, they confused. There is a technical progress which helps human beings, to us all, to to live better materially. But it also had killed that material, that material, the technological advancement, it also killed 200 million people. Yes. We just finished the greatest dark exactly. age. People of 500 years from now will look at the 20th century as uh, like the dark ages. Yes, and this is the so question. So how could they make that mistake, though? I understand material progress yes, that yes. you have televisions and you've got cars and the family yes. doesn't have to plow the fields, but you're literally just at the edge of a smoking hole that was the Second World War. Exactly. This I wanted to say that the progress of the technique can be in some way good, but uh, they welcomed the progress and they forgot that this progress of techniques of, uh, of the modernity uh, leads to um, a great danger, as you mentioned, the wars and the uh, mass weapons to destroy humanity. But I will go back just for our audience. You have people, and let's talk about the, the, they actually come up with an oath. The church is not in the business of putting out oaths. I mean, this is the importance they have. And every priest, every teacher, every lecturer at a Catholic university, you had to buy into this. Mm -hmm. And it was quite detailed. Mm -hmm. So they're drawing a line in the sand that we understand where this is going to go. And we're going to be a bulwark Mm -hmm. in the Judeo-Christian West against this. Mm -hmm. You then have what they told you was going to happen, even worse, mm -hmm. to nuclear chemical weapons in World War I, nuclear weapons in World War II, mass starvation. I mean, 200, 250, a quarter of a billion people slaughtered. Mm -hmm. How could people on the other side of that, the, the people at Second Vatican Council and the people in Rome are some of the most educated people in the world. Mm -hmm. How could they possibly have missed Yes, you're materially better off and technology's got a lot of positive things, but 
we would have never had this slaughter if it hadn't been the convergence of dark forces with technology. How could they possibly have missed what was probably the biggest lesson to mankind? They missed the basic error of the modern time, despite of the technical progress, as you mentioned, uh, the humanity became more and more morally worse and uh, inhuman. And they forget this, the, the, the reason why, because humanity, the modern time, uh, put God aside and put uh, themselves in the, in the place of God and started to neglect and despise the, the commandments of God. And therefore, uh, all this, in spite of the technical progress, we had disasters, only disasters in the modern time. And this was the error of these church leaders, not to appeal to this route to, to indicate the very cause of this. Uh, instead, they were simply impressed overwhelmed with the material progress of the modern world. And this was, to my opinion, a great omission and a, a deception of these church leaders, or they were probably also had a kind of complex of inferi inferiority before the modern world. Or they, wa they are wanted to be approved by the modern world. And this is a weakness. What do you mean approved? To be, yes, to be held up by the secular world? as being Yes, that the secular world, the unbelieving world, would applaud them, would recognize them. But this is an illusion, and this is uh, a weakness, and it is not worthy of those who are the, called the successors of the holy apostles. Jesus Christ and the apostles never were, were seeking the recognition and the applause of the world. You have uh, Christ's triumph, Christus Vincet, mm -hmm. if my, if my yes. altar boy Latin. Uh, Christ's triumph over the darkness of the age. Do you consider Christ triumphant in the 20th century? Yes, because Christ already won in his in his sacrifice on the cross, he destroyed sin and triumphed over the devil. And with his resurrection, he manifested his triumph. And since then, he is and he will remain the winner. And nevertheless, in this world, the church will be, until the end of the time, Christ said this, only a small flock and always persecuted, because in the Gospel of St. John, it said, Christ the light came to the world, and the world did not accept him, did not receive him. This will be up until the end of the time. And therefore, the church is called by, the, by its nature here on earth, the, the church militant. It means the, the church which is fighting, but not materially fighting, of course, but to it is doing a spiritual war. So here your place here is called the war house. And uh, I, the church is, the, I would say, the entire Catholic church is a great, a big war house. And always 
the apostles, this, the fathers of the church, the saints, the popes, during two millennium, they were aware and, and stressed this, we are in the midst of a battle. We have not to be so naive and to be a, a victim of, of the illusions that the world will accept us. But if, if people, but Catholics today and Christians today look at China and look at the underground church and look at what was Eastern Europe before the fall of uh, the communist and look at certain par- parts of sub-Saharan Africa or South Asia, they see a church persecuted there. They see the church in a fight, right? Do you see that in the book you talk about the de-Christianization of, of, um, of Europe, even before this wave of, 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 of the entry of, of Islam, but really the secularization that came right after the oath against modernity, the secular nature, the de-Christianization of Europe really started whole hog. Whole hog. Do you see that? We've got about a minute before we go to break. Do you see the de-Christianization in Europe, that they put up a strong enough fight? And are they putting up a fight today? Exactly. The de-Christianization of Europe, it was going on since the French Revolution and ever more. And uh, exactly in the 20th century, it was growing. And exactly at this moment, the church should strongly stress our duty, of course, with dignity, uh, to to fight against all these modern dangers who were a kind of spiritual poison poisoning the humanity with a life a completely materialistic life and a life against the commandments of God which is a disaster for all humanity which we are now witnessing Let's take a short commercial break. We'll return with Bishop uh, Schneider, who joins us from Kazakhstan uh, here in the United States. I want to thank Real America's Voice for this tremendous opportunity for this one-hour special. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back. The team in Denver, I really want to thank Real America's Voice for helping us do this special. Um, hopefully the first of many. The cover of your new book's about the about the mass and how to get back to tradition. It has a absolutely stunning, if the guys in Denver can pull into this, mm-hmm. photograph on, 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 on the front. It is a traditional Catholic mass being said, what looks like a beautiful cathedral once. But obviously this is the, the remnants of World War II. So the question gets to be, if Europe is a Christian culture, 
and is the uh, bedrock of the Judeo-Christian West. How do we end up with all that carnage and, and, and destruction on the outside? They even took down the material part of the church. How did we, because that picture is so ironic. You have the highest sacrifice, or you have the highest, um, not ceremony, but, but um, offering worship. to God. Worship. Worship to God, right? At the same time, in a burned-out husk with hundreds of millions of people dead. How did how does that happen in what is supposed to be a Christian culture in the bedrock of the Judeo-Christian West? Yes, this picture is exactly a demonstration of what happened uh, in the last centuries and a demonstration of what produced Christianity in, in Europe. For all the beauty which the European culture produced since the Middle Ages in art, in music, in architecture. Today, um, all the people around the world visiting Europe, they go to see Notre Dame de Paris. They, they, they see the, the Dome of Cologne or Milan, the Basilica of St. Peter, all these beautiful art. Chartres, they, will not, they will not visit uh, a supermarket, uh, modern, uh, modern style, or a modern style church, which was built today oftentimes like a supermarket a hall no one will visit a tourist such a church but they will visit Notre Dame de Paris and, and so on and to look the beauties of all the famous um, uh, architects and, and the music the same the greatest beautiful music produced in history in humanity are the music produced by the church by the composers who were believing, let us say, Palestrina, Mozart, Beethoven, Haydn, and so on. But and all that art, all that beauty, all that music, all that led to that. Exactly. This is very precise, you, you, you said. This all beauty was made by, the, by, by humanity for God, to glorify God, because for this aim we were created. God created us to glorify him. And in this consists our happiness. And we will never find our happiness individually and in humanity unless we try to glorify God in our life, even exteriorly with this beauty, which because God is beauty. And when people and humanity or a time like the modernity puts God aside uh, in the periphery in them, then the result is ugliness, simple ugliness, spiritual ugliness, morally ugliness, and, uh, and artif uh, the arts. And so this picture which you, which you showed, it is that the modernity brought this bombing and destroyed the beauty which, which the Christian faith, the Catholic faith produced um, almost naturally, the Catholic faith produced this beauty. Why? As long as Christians, the church, put God at the center, really at the center, and gave him the primacy. As long as they did this, there was beauty. Of course, in the moral life in the past centuries, even there were sins. This is a, 
uh, uh, reality. Uh, what, so what about the secularist argument that's saying in the early part of the 20th century with Einstein and the discoverer of relativity, that you found out that it's, and then the, the study layer of the subatomic quantum mechanics, that it's all random, it's relative and then it's random, that that understanding, man's progress in understanding the universe and understanding the material universe made not just the church irrelevant, but made Christ is just a myth of a nice person and a, and a good teacher, but that God is really uh, totally mechanical. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, and, and modern science shows that, uh, which led mm-hmm. to obviously the atomic bomb and, mm-hmm. and the destruction in the 20th century. What about the secularist argument that advances in science really led us to understand the universe better and the rest of it's just myth? Yes, this is um, an error because God created the, the reason. And and reason and faith are together, as some uh, as Pope John Paul II stated, his beautiful expression: "Faith and reason are the, like the two wings of a bird, and you cannot fly with one wing; uh, it will lead to a disaster." And so the the modernity only chosen the one wing, the reason, but excluded. God, the Creator, who revealed Himself to us in faith. And this rejection of the voice of God in the, in the revelation, in the faith, is leading to a disaster, even with the highest technical um, progress, as you mentioned, Einstein. And there cannot be a, a relat- relat- relativism because it's against common sense. We have to restore, uh, again, the common sense. How, how did someone, to tell us a second, how did a little boy from Kazakhstan, one of the most remote places on earth, what's the arc of your story of how you became essentially the intellectual or one of the intellectual leaders and one of the fighters to get back to a more traditional uh, Catholicism and therefore a more traditional Christianity? How, how, how did that happen? As at the beginning, we spoke about tradition. And so, all what I have, I received. It is not my merit. And so, we have to recognize that it is God in our life. We call this divine providence, which which puts us in a certain time, in a certain place, and then gives us the gifts through several means. First, through the parents. And I had the great uh, happiness in my life. And I am so grateful to God that he gave me very believing Catholic parents and grandparents. So I grew up in a soil already with a deep Catholic faith. In Kazakhstan is not a traditional Catholic country. Yes. In fact, it's a very tiny minority of Catholics. Currently only 0.5%. Zero five percent of the population Catholics. You're one half of one percent yes. of the of the country. Half percent, and the majority are Muslims and a great, uh, uh, considerable part Russian Orthodox. But I had to to tell the story because my I belong to the so-called Germans from Russia, and to this group of the Black Sea Germans at the Black Sea shore, they were in 19th century German villages completely separated from. Russians, and even separated Catholic villages and Lutheran villages. 
And so these were German farmers who came uh, at the invitation of the emperor. He gave them land and so on. And they transmitted faithfully the Catholic faith through generations. And so my parents, and during the Second World War, well, in the 30s, it was, uh, I have to say, the, the years called the terror years of Stalin. 36, 37, the horrible, and uh, he killed Stalin. Uh, the, his own people, not foreigners, his own Soviet citizens, several millions in two years. And my grandfather was one of the victims. He was a young man. He was only 27 years old. And he was killed simply because of three reasons. He was a German. He was a Catholic, a, a really a, a practicing Catholic man. And he had some land. And this was in these two horrible years, the terror years, uh, already a reason to be killed. And so he was on the list to be killed. And so he was. And my my grandmother uh, um, was alone with two children, my father and his brother. And then the Germans of the Black Sea were, were de uh, not deported, but evacuated during the Second World War by the German army to Germany, to East Germany, to save them from the, from the Soviet army. And then the Soviet army occupied East Germany and arrested all these people again and brought them back to Soviet Union as slave workers for forced labor. And so my parents came to a labor camp in the Ural Mountains, and there, they, by miracle of God, they survived, because a great part of these Germans, they died of frozen and famine, and of exhaustion. Frozen to death or starved to yes. death. And hang on for one second. I want to take a break. We're going to continue this uh, story of the uh, journey of Bishop uh, Schneider uh, from Kazakhstan. We'll be back. Uh, Real America's Voice, The War Room, in a moment. Christ's triumph over the darkness of the age. It's uh, a part of his a biography of uh, Bishop Snyder, and we're going to make sure we put out a lot of his content over the coming uh, days and weeks, months ahead. Uh, so we want the audience to, to know him. Um, your parents are in a gulag and a concentra essentially concentration camp. People are starving to death and, and, uh, and freezing to death. It's, um, very much like Solzhenitsyn's A Day in the Life of, was it Ivan Desnovich, Desnovich? Um, 
for our secular audience, because we have a large Catholic audience, traditional Catholic, we have a large evangelical Christian, they would, the secular audience would say, I haven't seen a lot of triumph, right? All I see is, uh, you know, all I see is uh, deprivation. I see, you know, young guy getting killed with, you know, his wife left with two children, murdered by these butchers. Uh, now they're taken to another land that they are not from or have a historical, they fight this horrible war. They're listening to, and then they get sent to slave labor camps. The secular audience would go, where's the triumph? The triumph of Christ is exactly in the, in the example of heroic example and fidelity of the faithful as my parents were in this horrible situation of, of this forced labor they managed uh, to organize a clandestine underground church and to transmit the faith in these situations. And this is a triumph of Christ. They were not afraid. Would they, be, would they have been executed immediately if they found not, the underground not church? Imme- not immediately, but they could be imprisoned or other. For, for practicing the faith. Yes, or, uh, yes. And so they, they, they made this. And my parents were activists in the underground church in the Ural Mountains and uh, were hiding priests. And this strength, this power that in midst of persecutions and this forced labor, people were able to remain faithful and to transmit their faith even with joy. My parents had always joy. This is my, all my uh, records and my memories of my childhood and my youth. Even so, there was so much suffering, but they transmitted to us children the joy. And this is the triumph of Christ. In midst of the persecution, I have the joy of God in my And this is the proof that Christ is living, is alive in the, li- in, the, in the lives of these people. And in our day, we have also, thanks be to God, many people, maybe their families, Maybe they are not known on the television or in the newspapers, but they are, who are keeping fidelity, faithfulness to God's commandments, to Christ, and who are joyfully transmitting the faith and the good education to their children. So in a slave labor camp, and then afterwards, they can transmit joy, and you remember them as joyful people. You look at the modern West today, and you see these families with all this material wealth, but it's misery. They're depressed. They have to take drugs for it. Is that is your point that's the absence of, of lived Christianity? That's the absence of Christ in their life? They'll never be happy, no matter how much material well-being they have? Exactly. This is uh, when, you have, when Christ is not in your life. And he's the only meaning, the only way, the only uh, life for humanity, for every human being. Without Christ, you have, you will never achieve uh, a, a true happiness. And therefore, we have these cases. Therefore, this is our task and the mission of the church more than ever to help our um, the, the contemporary people who lost the faith and the meaning of life to bring them this happiness and joy of Christ that they can know Christ and receive him in their lives. And Christ will triumph and is triumphing in the lives of the people. 
the church, at least the apparatus of the church that transmitted that to your to your grandparents and their parents, and then down to your parents, so they could be joyful in in a, in a living hell, and pass that joy to you. That would then dedicate your life to this. When people look at the church today, let me just be brutally frank: that's not what they see. They don't see that transmission, and they particularly they, I can look at Cardinal Zen in China. I can look at uh, the United States. I can look at Europe. You go to Europe. It, 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 you go to Rome and you had the most magnificent architecture in the world and you go to these churches as I do and there's not even Italian priests they're priests from all they have to go to, to other places of the world and there's not 50 people these churches can see uh, it can have a thousand people there there's 50 people for Sunday mass and all those people the average age of the people are 75 or 80 years old so what the church that transmitted that to your parents that that, that joy that you then can pass down in the most horrible situation in the world. What has happened to that church? Where is that church? Exactly. This is the crisis in which we live since the Second Vatican Council, since 60 years. Who And this council was announced by Pope John XXIII as a kind of springtime, which will come, but... Open the windows and let the fresh yes. air springtime in. Uh, but which which air? The air of the world. It's not fresh. The air of the modern world is was poisoned. Okay, but the tr- Pope is infallible, and he had the smartest people in the church at that time, including Pope Den- Benedict, and I think John Paul II, as younger priests or seminarians. They were they were young, but they're part of it. Mm-hmm. You had the smartest brains in 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 the church. Because this was not just a big deal, this was the biggest deal because one had not been called in so long, and particularly one like this. How did they get it? So how did they, and you have a magnificent book, The Springtime That Never Came, and they're directed by Christ. They've dedicated their lives to Christ. Mm-hmm. How, this is not something that's slightly wrong. Mm-hmm. This is something that's dead wrong, mm-hmm. dead wrong, as we now know, right? So how did that happen? It is um, very a very delicate issue because even these good people and they were very bright in their mind, intellect. Ratzinger, uh, Vaitila, in his young years, there was a kind of general atmosphere in the sixties before the Second Vatican Council with the announcement of a so-called new springtime to open the church the window so to accept uh, this in some way the the spirit of this world to make peace with them it was a kind of um, a general atmosphere who a kind i would say a virus a spiritual virus which infected even the best priests sometimes and bishops and they were enthusiastic of this new like you know a fashion can influence people, even a, a unreasonable and unreasoned fashion can influence people, and they simply go with the, with the current atmosphere. And this was, to my opinion, even these good theologians like um, Ratzinger and Wojtyla, they were partly influenced by this enthusiasm more enthusiasm. But who drove that? Because you go back then, 
the church is kind of hitting on all cylinders. It is is growing. It's growing in America. It's growing to the missions. You have you have a church. There seems to be no problem, no huge problem. Who came up with the idea that? How do you even have to let the springtime end? You have something that is getting more converts. It's growing. The tr- mm-hmm. you're you're getting in 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 the Western world, whether it's Latin America or the the United States. The church is growing vibrant, and it's it's it, it, we're we're literally a shell of that today. Yes. Who who were the drivers that said? We have to make not marginal change, but we have to make fundamental change because there's something deeply wrong here. Yes, I think we have to go more back to the time of the modernism in the end of the 19th century, which partly penetrated the life of the church, the seminaries and some theological faculties. And the the core uh, of this movement, the modernism, the Catholic modernism was to adapt the way of thinking of the modern world, which is naturalistic, rationalistic, anthropocentristic, and basically relativism, saying that there is no stable and constant truth. It's always evolving. And uh, and therefore, these clergymen who were in some way repressed by the anti-modernisting oath which, which was imposed to all clerics in 1910 by Pope St. Pius X, they simply went uh, silently and doing some networks to create uh, hiddenly to propagate their ideas within the church. And, and so, unfortunately, um, God permitted it is that Cardinal Roncalli was elected Pope in 58 with the name John the 23rd, which was he was had some sympathies as a young professor and then as a nuncio in Paris to to this general movement of to accept partly this way of thinking of the modern time, of the more naturalistic way, or to adapt the church to, to the desires of this world. And this was a deception. And uh, he was, I don't know which, which intention he accepted this, but simply an error. They, and so, and they spread this atmosphere. And when he became Pope, he started to proclaim this, of course, the Pope is not infallible uh, always. He is only rarely infallible when he speaks uh, uh, ex cathedra, means when he speaks to the entire church, simply confirming the divine truth, not to proclaiming nothing new. This is not infallibility of Pope. The infallibility of Pope consists only in confirming a traditional truth which was handed over or to re- to reject a heresy with apostolic authority. Only in these cases, this is infallibility. In other cases, the Pope can commit errors. We are going to take a short commercial break. I'm going to ask you to think about this through the break, is what Vatican II, because in 67, after the end of Vatican II, you have, they get rid of the, the, yes. the oath yes. against modernity, and then two years later, the new mass mm-hmm. arrives. Is that heresy? And is your 
effort, crusade, fight to return to a more mm-hmm. traditional way of Catholicism, and it's personified in your your magnificent book, The Catholic Mass. Is this a is this a um, a fight that can be won? Mm-hmm. Be back in a second in the world. book, The Catholic Mass, and I recommend this not just to Catholics and devout Catholics, observant Catholics, but really to all Christians. I think everybody would learn something from this. Is Vatican II, did it, with the loss of the oath of modernity a couple of years later, and the new Mass that came in in 1969, uh, is that heresy? And is this your fight to return to a more traditional, even if smaller, Catholic church? <clears throat> Is is are you saying that it's all heretical what came out of Vatican II and that your fight is to basically stand in the breach and say that we must go back? For sure, Vatican II is not a heresy and the new mass is not a heresy. We have to distinguish. Heresy is a, a direct contradiction and denial of a divine revealed truth. And this Vatican II did not. And the, the, the new mass also not. But the problem is that... So people, Lefebvre and some people, there are people farther mm-hmm. to the right than you that mm-hmm. say it is. You believe they're wrong no, because they miss... Archbishop Lefebvre did not say this. He uh, he did not say that there are heresies. But we have to distinguish between heresy, as I told you, is a direct denial okay. of the divine truth, and ambiguity. So this is... The problem with Vatican II and then the new mass is the, they contain... Ambiguity, so uh, vagueness. So you can speak in a vague, ambiguous way about uh, important topic. So you leave the the readers or those who will read this text of the Vatican II um, the possibility to to make an interpretation in one side or in a true way or in a in a wrong way, and this is the problem: the vagueness. All is in gray. It is. It is so. And so. And does that lead us to have pagan rituals from the Amazon uh, conducted at, at at the Vatican? Is that where that leads? It can. It can lead there. But to, for the mass, as you asked me, and therefore the the new mass is a kind of a mirror reflection of what the character of the Vatican II documents. Of course, I have to say we have to be just. In the Vatican II documents, there are plenty good traditional affirmations, of course. Thanks be to God. But sometimes it is sufficient, I would say, a small poison 
and which can contaminate with ambiguity the rest. And so the novus, the new mass contains an, in some parts a very ambiguous language regarding the sacrificial character of the mass because the holy mass is, is substantially the celebration, sacramental celebration of the, of the sacrifice of the cross of Christ, of our redemption, sacrificial. And this aspect is in some way um, um, undermined and darkened in some texts, in some places of the new mass and in the ritual itself. And this is very regrettable. And therefore we have to to make, and there is a movement started by Archbishop Lefebvre, but not only by him, by other uh, even movements of lay people after the council and until to, other, to our days. And here in the States, in other countries, they are very beautiful and uh, people, good people, lay people who are very committed to restore again the clearness, yes. the clarity and the beauty in, in un, unambiguity yeah. of the Catholic faith and the, and the worship. And therefore, we have to promote again the traditional way of the Holy Mass, which is so clear and unambiguous as a means to, to, to eliminate this, this vagueness, this ambiguity, which then leads, as you mentioned, also to a heresy and to some uh, even pagan worships. Uh, my parents in our living room had, were part of that group, Catholics United for the Faith, that eventually brought helped bring back Tridentine Catholicism, Catholic Mass back in the in the mid to late seventies. Um, how did people, besides getting the book, Sophia Press is a magnificent publisher. You go to Sophia, we'll be making sure everybody gets access to the book, the new book on the Mass. But you've got those the Vatican II, the springtime that never gave, and of course your journey, but really more importantly, but the de-Christianization of the world. How do people, is there a website they go to? How do people find out more about you and in your crusade to return to more traditional faith? I have a website with the name gloriadei.io. And in this website are many articles and my videos about Catholic faith, and I have a monthly direct broadcasting every 13th of the month in the evening where I am giving a talk about Catholic faith, catechesis, and another month I am answering questions of the, of the audience. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us. We'll make sure that everybody gets access to that. Um, Bishop, thank you also, I think, from people in the United States for your, your, uh, your, your journey here, and we look forward to seeing you again when you return. Uh, Bishop Snyder has joined us. I want to make sure everybody goes to Sophia Press. The latest book is The Catholic Mass, that is, The Steps to Restore the Centrality of God in the Liturgy, and this is not just for observant Catholics or maybe wayward Catholics, cultural Catholics, but also for all Christians. I think you will learn a lot about this. And of course, the other book about the Vatican II, uh, Springtime That Never Came, one of the most controversial events of the 20th century, the Second Vatican Council, and of course, Christ Triumph Over Darkness, all from Sophia, or this is from Anglico Press, but you can get them up on his site. We'll make sure everybody gets uh, access to it. Okay, so thank you very much. I want to really thank Real America's Voice 
for our special, uh, for all the production crew and everyone in Denver. Thank you very much, You're Bishop. Welcome. Thank you. And so God much. bless you and your work. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you so much. Thank you.